Welcome to The Secret Life of Dietitians. I'm Laura Poland. And I'm Amy Keller. We are going to start the second part of our conversation with Natalie from Engarden, and we're going to hear a little bit more about her today. But if you have missed the first episode, I invite you to stop listening right now. Of course, come back. But go back and listen to our first episode, which was one or two episodes ago. It will help you give a little bit of context to today's conversation, help you catch up a little bit on what InGarden is and what our experiences have been with it. And we look forward to hearing more from Natalie. She's fascinating. You're just going to love our conversation. So stay tuned. So yeah, welcome back, Natalie Patterson, to our podcast. We're so happy to have you back. Thank you for having me back. Uh, This is my my highlight of my weekend always. Aw, thanks. So I'm not going to read your bio, and hopefully people do stop and take a listen to our first episode with you and, and read your full bio. But I remember when we first met and we first talked, I was so impressed. So your undergrad was in nutrition biochemistry. And then you're currently working and about to finish a master's in food science. And, you know, we have probably a lot of new listeners here and we are, you know, we've talked about what we do as dietitians and our background and how the education that we have and the internship and everything that goes along with being a dietitian. But there are other avenues to explore with nutrition. And so that's why I really like your background and and thought we could talk about, we'll we'll start our conversation today talking about that. Yes, no, my my pleasure. I always like to give people a little insight, especially with the word food science, because there's, I don't know, kind of, I guess, confusion or misunderstanding truly what that means and what we do in the field of food science. Sometimes people think I'm in uh, like a culinary program, like, oh, not quite. (laughs) I (laughs) wish that'd be amazing. Maybe I could travel to Europe, but (laughs) food science. So the way I like to explain it is in relation to my undergrad, which, as you mentioned, was in nutritional biochemistry. And so if you imagine a circle, we're going to cut that circle in half. So half half of the pie was what I did in my undergrad, which is nutritional studies, right? Understanding what happens to our food once we put it in our mouth, it digests, we absorb it. What are those nutrients doing? Why do we need certain nutrients? How are they functioning? How are they creating optimal health for us all? So that is half of the pie. But then I started having curiosities like, okay, great. I know what nutrients we need, why we need them, how they work, yada, yada, yada. But where do I get them from? When I walk into the supermarket, there's 10 different brands of the same thing. With all these different marketing claims. There's free range, there's cage free, there's organic, there's non-GMO, there's GMO. What do all these things mean and how do I access the nutrients that I know I need and want and how can we better understand the food industry, right? So that's what food science is. Food science is the other half of the pie, which is everything that happens to our food from the farm to the plate. And the nutrition, as I mentioned, from our plate to our fork into our body, right? From the farm to the plate, what happens to our food has an integral uh, impact on the nutritional quality of our food and thus the benefits we can or cannot get from that food. And I think 
what maybe I should say humbled me, enlightened me the most about studying food sciences, I do feel as a field they get a bad rap. Food, the food industry, there's countless Netflix documentaries pointing to the problems of the food industry, and I definitely know that they exist. But I think what isn't talked about enough is all the good that the food industry does for us. From number one, the number one thing, making our food safe. Mm-hmm. Getting sick from our food is something we don't commonly experience here in America. But in third world countries, that's something, that's their number one thing they have to look out for. Am I going to get sick or even die from the food or water I'm drinking? So that's the number one thing that the food industry does for us. You can pick up a pack of chicken breasts and assume complete safety. You can buy yogurt, you can buy packaged food, you can buy your fresh produce and you expect you don't even think about getting sick from it, right. to be honest. Um, and then the other things that the food industry is doing is also making our food healthier. A lot of times they get a bad rap for oh, putting all these bad fats and sugars and etc. processed junk food. But I also I beg people to question, well, who's making that gluten-free pasta for you or the protein pasta? Who's making the vegan uh, foods and, and plant-based meats? Who's making the kombuchas? Who's making and ensuring that your fresh produce is there ready for you when you walk in the supermarket? And that that is food scientists, right? So as much cocoa bad or negativity that there is out there, any industry has the the bad and the good to it. And I think it's time to start appreciating the food industry for all the good that they do for us. Because it's an industry, which means they listen to us as consumers and we are demanding change and we are seeing that change, even if we don't maybe recognize it offhand, this change is occurring for the good, for the betterment of our health. Yeah. So, you know, if you're doing this with food science currently, what is your ultimate dream gig <laughs> Ooh, oh i like this I like, where do i want to be? i mean is it product development is it yes you know, no that's a great question <laughs> what i particularly love about the food industry is it is directly connected to the consumer so i love i love being a scientist and i do love lab work but something that wasn't I suppose lining up for my personal heart's desires was the seclusion, right? A lot of times, I you know, I bet you you imagine a, a scientist with their lab coat doing weird things in the lab, but you don't necessarily have a relation to them. You know, most of us, I think, in the world of science communication, we do we could do better. We could do better with connecting with the public because I think scientists are stereotyped as like the geek, the villain, or <laughs> yeah. I don't know, just the strange one in films and the media uh-huh. and in movies, whatever it may be. Yeah, I want scientists to be relatable. And I think exactly what I'm doing with In Garden is exactly that happy medium. I love the world of business because you are connecting and making a difference in people's lives to day here now not not nine years away when your paper finally gets recognized for your contribution to the field but now today and so I like that happy medium of being able to take what I've learned in school in my academic career and translate it in a usable applicable manner that's so great I think we have seen I mean, just looking at the last two years, how sometimes difficult science is to communicate and how 
changes. This is something that I think people, if they weren't familiar with how science was prior to COVID, they may be now. And the fact that recommendations change, I would say we're seeing things evolve in real time here. And yes. this is how science works. If you're doing the same thing six months that from now that you were doing six months ago, it's probably it's probably different. Yeah. Are different, and it's difficult though for the public because the way scientists speak is never in absolutes. Yeah, it's never. But people want that. Yes. Oh, you you hit the nail on the head with that one. That's <laughs> so true. It, as a scientist, you are trained to always like kind of want to figure out if you're wrong about something. Like, and you're excited to be wrong because that means you can keep learning and keep growing and keep <laughs> evolving and expanding the knowledge of the field. Yeah, you're right. It is all about absolutes these days. And so when, quote, quote, one minute we're saying one thing and the next we're not, it looks bad from the outside. But if we if we understand that's actually a good thing because it right. means scientists aren't afraid to be wrong. Scientists are excited to continue to learn and they're not, uh, maybe st stagnant, I guess you could say. It's constantly evolving, constantly learning. Like what we knew a year ago is not what we know today. And correcting, correcting that is so important or else we won't advance our knowledge, you know, for the world, for the public. So no, I really appreciate you do say that because I think a lot of people aren't necessarily aware of that or appreciative of that. More so like ah, roll their eyes like, oh, can't believe that like what is this nonsense <laughs> right right how did you develop the idea for in garden you said this is something that was kind of that dream of bringing science and your food science background to the mass yeah. yeah no i first came across microgreens it, microgreens came first before the hydroponic um idea necessarily but microgreens i first came across in my undergraduate studies and i just saw the these powerhouses that weren't some foreign new food like i know kombucha is so popular nowadays but when it first hit like we were all like what on earth yeah what, <laughs> what is it made of how but like microgreens are simply a vegetable right and i i know that we we can also touch on what we we shared we were going to touch on what's the difference between sprouts and microgreens but microgreens are something familiar but yet unfamiliar and i think for me it's that that saying i always love to say getting the most bang for your nutritional buck how can we get the most value from our food and something like microgreens being the nutritional dense powerhouses that they are excited me and kind of that um that understanding of the biochemistry of vitamins and minerals in our body and how essential they are mm -hmm. and so that that was my fascination with microgreens and then my my inspiration for turning it into in garden really just it came from this understanding that look we are nutritional nerds and we love this stuff like we are happy to spend hours learning about it maybe investing like time and energy into good food good health but even us i know are busy and so if we have that passion plus busyness i'm sure we manage it but what about the person who it's not really their biggest interest but they do know for their longevity and health they want to be better and do better but they just don't know how or really have the time energy effort 
oh, like adding another thing to the to-do list, you know, getting microgreens from the farmer's market or the supermarket or even trying to invest in finding microgreens is just a barrier, right? So my thing is like, okay, how, like behavior change, right? Behavior change with clients, behavior change with consumers. How can we lower the barrier of entry in a sense? Like, being healthy doesn't have to be hard or expensive or complicated. I think if we can lower that barrier to entry, and for me with microgreens, that is having a system that you don't have to think about. It's autonomous, right? It's there on your countertop, kitchen counter, shelf, coffee table, whatever. It's there. It's in sight. It's in mind. Again, like just trying to minimize those barriers is how like that kind of crossroads happened. And obviously the, the food science side of it helped me understand more the industry and that that kind of business side of things because that is the food industry right it is a business it's it uh it's how we then get food from the farm to people's plate right Mm -hmm. so that was the kind of full circle i guess you could say of my my inspiration (laughs) nice nice so some of the things that i was thinking about as you were talking about that was uh just the whole idea behind when we talked about the increased nutrition behind the microgreens I remember thinking about this after we talked the last time but I had a question because you gave some great statistics on how much more impactful they can be in the diet and I guess my question was like what's the serving size then how does that compare yeah. to eating some broccoli or something yeah like that? no, that's a great question I think I gave you the statistics on a uh, red cabbage but just just for some variety and maybe to remind listeners of that nutritional density what do we mean by that right nutrients jam-packed into these microgreens like a kind of nutritional punch like pow in your body, whoa, your body's like, whoa, rejoicing. <laughs> so my second favorite to the red cabbage, because I mentioned in the first episode, red cabbage, my favorite because of the beautiful purple color and that, you know, they kind of stand out in, in your in-garden, on your in-garden. And so my other favorite, though, is the arugula. I'm not sure if you have planted the arugula yet, but the leaf is the most how maybe different yeah the most different from the others because it's more triangular and kind of smaller and pointy versus round and kind of clover leaf look to it so i like it it's different it's cute and i do love arugula so to to give you some statistics on that we're going to look at vitamin a iron zinc manganese and copper so take the same serving size which is three cups of arugula compared to three cups of um, arugula microgreens, which is your entire in garden, three seed pads, three cups. So, okay. vitamin A content, hundred percent more vitamin A in the arugula microgreens compared to the regular mature arugula. Sixty-seven percent more iron, ten percent more zinc, sixty-seven percent more manganese, and six hundred percent more copper. So. Like I said before, this is incredible because we're talking double digit, triple digit. And then, for example, with the red cabbage microgreens, we even went into the quadruple digit. More concentration percentage of these essential vitamins and minerals in your microgreens compared to your serving size of, you know, mature vegetable. And 
you know, that's serving size, three cups. Obviously, you probably aren't eating your whole in at one right. time. Um, so what I like to share, though, is every recipe on our blog, we suggest using one seed pad for that serving of that recipe, which is a third. So if I'm telling you that the arugula microgreens have 600% more copper, right? Good for energy, connective tissue, immunity, etc. Copper, amazing. That's a third. So if you eat one seed pad, that's a third. So you're still getting 200% more right. of that daily value for copper than you would if you eat the arugula, right? So right. you can eat one one cup of microgreens to get the same value that you'd need to eat three cups of a regular arugula for. So, you know, whether it be you're trying to eat healthy and don't necessarily love big volumes of vegetables, then microgreens are great for you. Right. If it's that you want to add those arugula microgreens into your arugula salad, then you're you're even upping the nutrition more because you're getting it from the mature greens as well as the microgreens. So there's a sliding scale of how you want to approach it. But regardless of how much you're eating, obviously, the more the merrier, the more you eat, the more nutritional benefit you're going to get. That's the case with most foods, obviously, not just microgreens. (laughs) But I think the point there is to, to still really grasp that you know, impact of the nutritional density, you are getting more for your nutritional buck, more value for, more bang for your buck when it comes to that investment into the foods you're putting in your body, which I think some people already, that's pretty, pretty great. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, We mentioned just a minute ago, you had mentioned the difference between sprouts and microgreens. And I found myself calling them sprouts and right. like, I, I don't think that's what they are <laughs> and so to tell the difference you know because people are used to eating sprouts yes yeah. um, mm-hmm. the difference between this and a sprout yeah oh, great 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 segue back to that so I another visual for everyone listening imagine a scale with four increments on the scale one two three four. First, a plant we're going to start with sprouts sprouts comes first that's what happens first sprouts second is microgreens third is baby greens like you know baby spinach baby kale you've seen them in salad mixes and then fourth final is your mature greens those big size right broccoli you can picture broccoli stem that big kale like say the big uh, black kale or curly kale etc so Sprouts, microgreens, baby greens, mature greens. So they're all related. A plant is a plant, right? Right. But we're just harvesting at different stages of growth. So you've seen your microgreens. Your microgreen seeds do sprout. Every plant, no matter what, a seed has to sprout, i.e. germinate, grow. But in terms of that subtle difference, microgreens versus sprouts also differ in how we grow them so if you are you know sprouting seeds to make with the goal of making growing sprouts you will typically do that in a moist damp saturated environment whereas microgreens require that light because of the magical process of photosynthesis from our high school biology right the conversion of light energy into chemical energy so microgreens they are characterized because they have true leaves which are what you see the little microgreen leaves right right that is what differs from those sprouts versus microgreens and because microgreens do undergo photosynthesis that process activates different enzymes and nutrients in the microgreens 
in comparison to sprouts. So what ends up happening is that you just get a different host of enzymes, micronutrients from your sprouts versus your microgreens. If you're trying to say which is better, you really can't compare it that way because when sprouts might have more of a certain nutrients than the microgreens, the microgreens at the same time may have more of a different nutrient than do the sprouts. So that's how it kind of works in comparing them. But one thing to keep in mind about the sprouts is perfect segue back to me mentioning food safety in the beginning is that they are you are risking I suppose greater risk of contamination because what did I say dark moist damp environment perfect for microorganisms right so right. there's a little bit more um, you have to be careful and more knowledgeable how to spot if your sprouts are contaminated which some of us maybe don't want to deal with so then venturing into microgreens will be probably a, um, a more a suitable application of getting these uh, micronutrients in your diet. That's great. And we've heard, uh, you know, countless recalls of sprouts and concerns with sprouts and, you know, people who are immunocompromised maybe shouldn't consume them. And mm -hmm. so that's a really great way to talk about that. There would not be the restrictions on microgreens that there might be on sprouts. Yes, exactly. Plus, you know, different different flavor profiles too, right? I don't think we should, you know, if we have the ability to not exclude anything from our diet, like obviously we have all have reasons why we need to take some things out, like you mentioned, but I think variety is key in everything, right? The more different foods we try, the more, you know, fun healthy eating is <laughs> but also the more you know i suppose buffer we have nutritionally to ensure we're getting a variety of nutrients our body needs so that's kind of where microgreens lie but i think it's a nice visual to imagine okay sprouts microgreens baby greens mature greens it's kind of like a nice visual to see where they you know uh, line up in relation to each other yeah that's great that's very visual very easy to understand perfect <laughs> good yes yes um we talked a little bit before we got on today about our experiencing growing our second uh in yes. garden yes um i started mine right after christmas ish and it had gotten kind of cold here and dry and the experience that i had i think laura had as well and we talked about this before we got on the air and i think this is such a great point my second in garden my two outside pads did great but the center pad about half of it dried out the with, within a couple of days and I was surprised by that because I had no issues with it the first time and I thought what did I do wrong um, and you had great insight on that yes no I, I love that you brought this up because I think the main blanket statement I'd like to share is you are dealing with a living food <laughs> We're not dealing with a package of potato chips or a box of cookies. We are dealing with a living, growing, breathing food, right? And there are going to be differences. Microgreen to microgreen, uh, growth cycle to growth cycle, batch to batch. So I think an appreciation for that is needed up front. And, you know, it's not necessarily that you are doing something, quote, quote, wrong. It's just 
hey, we're dealing with something living. You know, so just like us humans, we have bad days and we have good days. <laughs> so do our greens and, and foods that we're growing. So it's important to remember that. But nonetheless, we do have some trouble troubleshooting tips. And if you you know have your in-garden as well and, and you're listening and have some problems too, obviously, first place to go is definitely our FAQ page on our website. We have, oh my gosh, probably like an, a hunt over... <laughs> close to 100 uh, FAQs just to help everyone understand how to be a little more savvy with their growing process. But the main thing that I shared with you, Amy, in, re- in regards to the drying out is I experienced this too. Like, you are not alone in that. I live right here in Southern California, and something we suffer from is dryness. I, I shared with you that just yesterday, my house, I have a little uh, moisture detector was only 12 percent and usually it's you know 50 to 60 percent moisture in the air and it's 12 percent so my skin i know what my skin is feeling dry and <laughs> depleted of any hydration that means so are my plants whether it be my house plants or obviously we're talking about the microgreens so what i advise to do is just monitor it look at the seed pad see if it's drying out and don't don't feel afraid to water it a little bit like definitely gently because we don't want to disturb the microgreens or disperse the seeds so that they're not you know attached to and you know right now they're trying to grow their roots into that seed pad and into the you know base of the bowl so we want to be careful but you know, I suppose nurturing, nurturing your in garden is definitely something you can do and feel free to experiment too. I think I think the the inner scientist in me is used to doing that, used to trying things, but I think sometimes when it's something new we get a little nervous that we're gonna mess it up or ruin it. But I think if you give yourself the freedom to, you know, experiment and try watering a little more a little less where you're placing it in your house too i said um can dry it out more or less if it's too close to a window and there's a lot of natural light even if it's not sunny outside just natural light in general or even light from say a lamp or your your ceiling lights can impact the you know hydration level of your seed pads as well as the growth of your microgreens because just like humans if we get too much sun we get a little sunburn (laughs) So, yeah. so do the microgreens, but in this case, getting a little like dried out slash sunburnt from natural light coming through a window, your lamps, lights in your house, etc. So that's the kind of what you can do is just keep it hydrated, keep it watered, and then also keep in mind where you have it in your house because that will Im- impact the growth cycle. And I think like one last thing to add is the first couple days, it can look a little ugly. Like, you're like, oh, no, like, something went wrong. But what I do is, like, don't worry. Like, just leave it. Like, again, make sure it's hydrated, but just leave it. Even if it's past day seven, just leave it. Like, let it grow. Let it do its thing. Because sometimes when we disturb things mid-process, that also doesn't work. I don't know if someone's ever come into a room when you're in the middle of a project and it looks a little chaotic. <laughs> and you're like, wait, just don't look. Or maybe doing your, like, uh, makeup. Don't look at me yet. Like, don't, don't, yeah. I'm not done. So I think the same is with with our in garden like give it give it a little uh patience i suppose yeah i definitely noticed that as well with my in garden the second time well i may have done three times now <laughs> but i do know that yeah the, uh, 
definitely recently it's required a lot more water and a lot more attention to keep it at that level. It's going down so much faster. So having, I would, I would recommend just what you said is, is also just make sure it's in a place where you can actually keep an eye on it because that, that surprised me the second time I did it, that that yeah. would yeah. dry out so quickly. Just like it, it looked like it is here. It's so much drier here right now yeah. than it was prior to Christmas. I mean, December was pretty warm. Right. Now, and we didn't, I mean, I can, we'll run in a humidifier every night, which we don't normally do. And, Same and I here. <laughs> and that completely explains the issues mm-hmm. that I have. Yeah. yeah, no, for sure. And like, even, you know, we definitely we definitely have a host of customers that that aren't so happy with the with the you know lack of consistency. But like I said, it's a living food. It is hard yeah. to have that guarantee, especially because every home is different. Every mm-hmm. you know. We mentioned water too, what water to use, like uh, the water you're using is everyone's experience will be different. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's something I've learned in the world of entrepreneurship and business is that consumers expect that consistency. So Mm -hmm. you do have to be careful to communicate that so someone doesn't have an, um, suppose on like, non-practical expectation and then get up get upset about it right <laughs> angry customers are not something <laughs> something not you want yeah. um, but yes the the water you use can also differ obviously if you live in a beautiful you know countryside environment using the tap water is completely fine but i think i gave the analogy maybe if you're living in the center of new york maybe stick with bottled water just just because you know you, you can't know um those heavy metals in the water how they are in impacting the growth I can I can say for Columbus I can say for Columbus the water is actually really good because we also host uh Anheuser-Busch and they have insisted on certain parameters of our water so there we go there we go yeah everyone's unique and I think if you personalize your growing experience to you that's really how it's yours right it's your experience it's your ingotten it's your microgreens it's going to be different um but of course like i said never be afraid to check out that page or you know shoot us an email we are here to help you ensure that you do know enough right i think we we all have experienced that we can have all have the same recipe but three different people making the same recipe the food's going to come out differently and that's based on your understanding of basic cooking skills so the same i think applies to being the new future forward indoor gardener (laughs) very nice yes (laughs) we're all about forgiveness right like being like yeah it's we're not perfection it's progress over perfection right yes yes (laughs) i like that (laughs) speaking of indoor gardening this um actually came from a colleague of mine that i work with who said so can you grow like cherry tomatoes in this way and and it got me to thinking about i know that in garden is a form of hydroponic gardening how does this differ from other versions of because here in ohio we don't have you know 365 fresh fresh produce and i even see in the grocery stores hydroponic tomatoes or hydroponic lettuce how does this differ from that yeah no i really appreciate that's a great question i think like first it's actually a cool point to just back up one step and talk hydroponics and like why in garden why hydroponics 
you know, is the future of food, is steps in the right direction. You mentioned it perfectly. You don't have 365 year-round fresh produce. And so I think a lot of a lot of conversation has been around eat locally and watch how many food miles your your food takes and the impact on climate change that your food has because of how far it has to travel. And I always like to say you can't get more local than on your counter. <laughs> you can't get more close to the source than growing the food yourself. And I think with the movement of technology to the table, right? This is the future of food. How can we use technology to advance and make our lives healthier and more sustainable? And that's actually a question the food industry we're facing. How will we sustainably and nutritionally feed a growing population that's expected to reach 9.8 billion by 2050? How will we do this? Well, one, one step in the right direction is on the industrial scale, hydroponics, right? Growing things like lettuce tomatoes strawberries etc that's what you're seeing when you go to the supermarket and it says hydroponically grown on the label that's industrial scale farming we're now trying to conserve land and how to optimize our food and i think hydroponics does actually maybe scare some people especially if you do come from a more naturalistic holistic background you're like oh like nothing better than you know nature and soil and the sun and i agree like i, I shared with you in episode one my my origin with the maori culture of new zealand and our respect for the land and food and where it comes from but i think what i always like to share and beg people to um, i guess question is look like with hydroponics we have the ability to optimize the the growth cycle as well as the nutrients in the food unfortunately soil isn't what it used to be soil doesn't have the nutrients it needs to have in it anymore like it's just the way it is and we can sit there and be sad about it complain about it wish it was the way it used to be but it's not so let's think future forward let's think how can we optimize the nutritional value of our food how can we optimize the sustainability of our food and hydroponics is one way that we can do that and why that's amazing is because there isn't really a limit the only limit right currently in terms of hydroponics is it is a little challenging to grow like tubers like say potatoes right mm -hmm. that's that's the challenge right now but as you mentioned things that can grow on a vine like tomatoes right like strawberries these are things we can do right now. And again, steps in the right direction. So yes, in garden, we are currently only microgreens, but uh, look out in the future just to give us some time. Though that's that's not a, that's not only um, where where we'll be. So we're starting with microgreens because obviously I shared that that's my my little baby favorites. Um, but I personally have an Aero Garden, which is a company, obviously a competitor, but hey, what goes around comes around. So I actually have one to grow lettuces or also fresh herbs. Like I currently have Thai basil, mint, um, Geneva, like regular um, basil, parsley, thyme, etc. So you can grow herbs, you can grow, I've grown lettuces before. So there's a lot of brands you type in on Amazon that are, are for growing these bigger vegetables or, or fruit like your strawberries um, and, and tomatoes. So different brands can offer different things and what is different 
in between those is, um, for example, with my arrow garden, I do have to feed it some plant food uh, about every two weeks, I think it is. So you do have a little bit more, I suppose, hands-on experience because you do have to nourish these, um, you know, baby vegetables a little more than the microgreens. But nonetheless, it's it's still convenient. It's still cool. It's still like just a fun experience but it definitely takes longer like yeah. they can take up to a month to sprout and you're like is, it, is anything happening <laughs> what's going on yeah so like that's the thing microgreens are fun because it's a week right and right like, oh, like every day you, you get to visualize the growth so that's my two cents on different you know different hydroponic systems there are so many out there and i think what you can realize as a consumer is that by you investing in indoor gardening, it's not only a fun experience for yourself and your family, fun and nutritionally beneficial, but it also is actually you are doing your part to reduce your plastic waste, your packaging waste, the miles that your food travels. You are doing your part to reduce as well as like food waste. I bet mm-hmm. you're not going to waste those fresh herbs or lettuce if they're growing. They're not sitting in the fridge like getting soggy, right? So that's what's great about hydroponics is that you're doing yourself a flavor, fa- flavor, <laughs> favor, as well as the planet, right? And the industry in general, you are mm-hmm. doing doing multiple, you know, positive impacts for different arenas, which I think, I don't know, it makes me feel good. You know? Yeah, I have to say, I, I did get behind in using some of my microgreens at one point. So I went ahead and harvested them and I put them on the counter and they dried out and I've just been using them that way too. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. so obviously it's better fresh, but, uh, yeah. No, no, you definitely, like, admittedly, like, I'll, like, be honest with you guys, I have to, uh, I have to harvest my microgreens a little bit in advance sometimes just because I have to plan for content and recipe creation, so I need to get more growing <laughs> before I have time to eat all the ones that were growing. So yeah. I definitely do harvest them, and I, I have popped them in a container into mm-hmm. the fridge myself, and they do stay fresh. Yeah. As long as they don't uh, pick up too much moisture, then they'll stay fresher for longer, mm-hmm. uh, which, again, you're not it's not bad or worse it's just obviously not the best but you gotta like you said personalize it to what's best for you Mm -hmm. or else you won't make those positive steps forward you know for your health changes so i think i think i think giving us more freedom and i like you said laura forgiveness too like i think those are so important and maybe not talked about as much Mm -hmm. necessarily in, in today's health you know um movement right it seems all perfect on social media mm, <laughs> it's yes. not <laughs> i think that's a wonderful way to wrap up today's conversation mm-hmm. this is something that i think laura and i've worked really hard in this last couple of years with this podcast is that we are all way too hard on ourselves and that there are so many little things that we can do to be positive um, in terms of our health, whether it's walking a little bit more or, you know, adding a fruit or a vegetable or investing in something like in garden. I think the more we can do, it doesn't have to be perfection every day, all the time. It can just be those little steps. As long as we're making those consistently, I think that's, that's really the step, 
the steps forward to our health. And I think oh, well said. Baby steps and being consistent. That That is well said. Like, I think sometimes we try to take leaps and then that's what gets us into yep. <laughs> negative cycles of never really making the biggest impacts, but more so extreme impacts. So I think taking baby steps, like you said, small things, walking more, like adding a serving. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Okay. Well, thank you so, so much. More about how to order in yeah. garden. You have a special offer offer for our listeners, and yes. you can tell us a little bit more about yeah. that before we wrap up. Yes, absolutely. So ingarden.com is your best way to learn more about the microgreens. We have all those nutritional statistics for you, right? Showing you our nutritional analysis, how it worked, all that. We have, you can look at the ingarden, how it works. There's also our blog with lots of recipes for you. And I think sometimes that's the biggest, like, well, love these the idea of them, but how do I implement them? So lots of information there. Social media to ingarden underscore com is our Instagram. That's also, you know, fun. We all love Instagram. Good visuals. <laughs> it's I, I, I like advertising for our eyes, right? Um, but the the code is secret fifteen for 15% off your purchase. And we all love to save a little bit of money. So I definitely would take advantage of that while it lasts. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having us uh, or joining us again. Uh, it's been great. So. No, thank you, girls. And I, I just love that we can have chat and have fun and hopefully deliver uh, golden nuggets of, yeah. of good knowledge for the listeners. We will definitely keep you in mind if we ever want you back. <laughs> I know where to get you now. <laughs> There's so many topics in food science. I know. People don't know dietitians take classes in food science before they get their degrees. Yeah. People like what you're doing and <laughs> fascinated with your other thoughts on you know, growing practices. And I just, I could talk to you all day long. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, if you have other questions for Natalie or for us, we invite you to emails, email us at dish at secretliferd.com. You can reach us on Instagram at the secret life dietitians. Um, again, visit our website. We will put a link to the first podcast in today's show notes, as well as a link to Ingarden, the FAQs and the code. Uh, if you're an interested listener who would like to order this system. Uh, and again, we will get more information out there as you ask for it. So uh, thank you for joining us today. Again, Natalie, we so appreciate your time and so appreciate your expertise. And we will see you next time wherever you get your podcasts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>